What's going on, Sports Nation? Welcome to Game Breakers, the sports show where we will be breaking down news that's relevant in the sports world. It's your host, Edwin, and I'm back again with another banger, as you guys all know. Man, feels good to be back for the first episode of the week. And yes, I know it's a Tuesday, guys, if you don't already know, but still, the show must go on, as I always say, and I will continue to say, man, we have a lot of news to get into. It's so much news today, so be prepared for a, a nice, lengthy, I don't want to say that it's going to be too long, but, you know, it's, it's sports. You got to talk about sports, man. Like, you got to do what you got to do. If the job is, is this long one day and it's short one day, you know, either way, both jobs are getting done regardless because that's how things roll in life, and that's how it does with me, at least to say the least. Now, let's get straight into it because we have, like I said before, a lot to talk about, a lot to talk about. I'm going to start here with the newest news regarding the Saints camp where they have given QB slash tight end slash receivers slash running back slash anything at this point, man. Taysom Hill, uh, a four-year hybrid type contract extension that could be worth anywhere between $40 million to 95 million, depending on the position he plays, according to Adam Schefter. So that also includes 22.5 million guaranteed. And, you know, so here is the thing with that contract, right? He gets paid a base salary of 40 million a year, and that could be up to 55 million if he does become the Saints starting QB for the next four seasons. And that all is just a bunch of BS to me because I, I just don't understand why this is happening. Why are we paying Taysom Hill, who no disrespect to the guy at all. He does work very hard in his craft and what he does, and he gives a different element to the offense. But why are we paying gadget kind of players? I, I don't get it. That kind of money as well, too. Like, why are we paying this guy around $40 million of a base salary? 40 million base salary for for a for a guy who he's not a major part to your offense. He doesn't take up the minutes of possession in the offense. He's not even starting at this point. Like what what is going on? Seriously, like I, I would for me, he's similar to Cordell Patterson at this moment. And I would pay Cordell Patterson nowhere near the amount of money that he's getting paid at this time and of day. Like I'm just I'm just not. Seriously. A guy who's a gimmick player who basically does trick plays, end arounds, lining up in different positions, all that is cool and everything. It does give a different element to your offense, does keep the defense off guard once in a while. But still, Taysom Hill, for me, it's overpaid. Like, why is he getting this kind of money? Why? I don't get it at all. It makes no sense to me because defenses are not, you know, they're not game planning for a guy like Taysom Hill unless he's starting. They're not. So, you know, like he, he's just a guy that you bring in to the offense just to make sure that you get a play, you know, gain for like 10 yards, maybe 15, you know, maybe under 10 yards, around six or seven yards because of what the defense isn't expecting at that moment, which is expecting you to bring out a, a, a QB and Taysom Hill to do something in the offense. Like that's not what's happening here. And for the Saints, I have to ask this question. If he's so valuable to you as a player, because we all just know how much the Saints can't get enough of Taysom Hill, then why is he not starting? Why is he not starting? Okay, whatever. He's banged up. 
he's he's coming back from a concussion, I believe, or some type of injury. I believe is related to a concussion, but still, he was injured that one week. Trevor Simeon started, right? Next week he comes back. If he's that important to you, why is he not starting now that he's back and you know back healthy er at least? And if he's not healthy enough, then so be it. Fine by me. It could be just using Trevor Simeon to bridge the gap for when they expect Taysom Hill to take the starting reins, you know, when he's fully fit. But if he's fully fit and Simeon continues to start, I understand that Trevor Simeon has played one good game, you know, the game. Actually, he played two good games, kind of. He played a good game against the Buccaneers, the the good win against them. He played a good game against the Falcons, in my opinion. And he played one terrible game this past Sunday against the Eagles, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. But, you know, if he's that important to you, then why is he not starting? That's the question I have for you guys, because there's no reason why he should not be getting a bulk of the snaps in the offense if he's getting paid this much. If looking at stats dating back to last season, it's not great at all. Like his stats don't command, they, they don't command a hefty salary such as 40 million base. Going back to last season, 20 rushes for 104 yards and three scores. Four catches for 52 yards, seven of eight for 56 passing yards and an interception. Okay. So the only good stat that I see here kind of is that the one that I did not name, which is he went three and one as a Saints starter last year, and he threw for 928 yards, four scores, two interceptions while completing 72% of his passes. You know, so that's good. That that right there, despite what people may think about him, if he was able to do that despite competition. You know, especially for a guy of his caliber where he's like a hybrid kind of player and he's not really known too much as a complete QB, but he could play the position. He can get the job done with his legs. He can extend plays. He can also add a different element to offense, whereas if he if he lines up in the wide receiver position, like a wildcat snap, you have to now attend to him because they could be throwing the ball to him. They could be rushing the ball to him. You never know. Like they could do so many things to him with him if he's in the lineup so he's not in the lineup right now he's not at this point but i don't know man this is just too much money for me at this point i don't believe he's worth that kind of money and if if i were the saints if i was a saints fan for that matter i would just be so upset with the likes of us giving money that could be crucial crucial to other plays i mean the other players and other positions on the team that you could be using to help the team build instead of giving it to Taysom Hill. Why? Why? I, I have no clue why. You you guys need – okay, Michael Thomas is injured, right? But you guys need uh, a good receiver, unless you don't really have the, the best feeling in uh, Marquez Callaway. You know, you don't have a good feeling in the likes of any of the other receivers on the team. Troutman as, as, your, as your tight end. You know, all Dewan's – Johnson, all these guys who are pretty much mediocre. Yeah, you know, they are pretty much mediocre, if I'm being honest. So the question is, why didn't you use those funds to get a player who could help out the actual part of the offense that needs helped? You know, that he's helping out. <laughs> I don't understand at all, but listen, that is the road that they want to go with, and they will live and die by this decision. It's simple as. Now Moving on, the Denver Broncos have agreed to a four-year extension with 
receiver Cortland Sutton worth up to $60.8 million. Wow. Okay. That also features a $34.9 million guaranteed money. Now, he was in his rookie deal, Sutton. He's 26. Um, and so far through 10 games, he leads the team with 43 catches, 617 yards, and two touchdowns. Now, he did have a Pro Bowl. If you guys did not know, he did have a Pro Bowl uh, nominee or you know selection in 2018 when he finished with 72 catches, 1,112 yards, and six touchdowns. Okay. Unfortunately, last season he tore his ACL, which is why he kind of missed – you know, the whole season, and you wasn't able to really see him take off from that year where he was actually a great receiver, you know, judging by his stats. But for this deal, I think it's okay. I don't think it's the best, but I think it's okay, you know. And the question I have for the Broncos is how does he play or how does he fit with Jerry Judy? Because it's evident that when he's on the field, whoever, it doesn't matter what quarterback it is, they find a way to, they, they tend to, target Jerry Judy more times than not than Cortland Sutton. Okay. So I, I look at the whole offensive talent and I say, okay, I like Sutton. I like Jerry Judy. I also do like Tim Patrick. So all those guys can coexist in the same offense based off of the same, you know, the, the naming of the offense, so the players who they have, because it's some nice talent. It's some nice young talent that you have at, at the disposal, to be honest. So, I look at the Broncos and I see, well, they actually when they actually believe in the likes of Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy coexisting in the same offense and being able to share the, the targets in hopes of them forming this young dynamic pairing that could possibly catch the NFL off guard. It possibly could. You know, and I it's not a terrible deal. It's really not. I mean, four years, sixty point eight million. It's not bad, and when you look at his rankings and the salary among receivers, he's ranked 14th right now for a base salary among receivers so far, which is 15 mil per year. He's not a top 15 receiver, but when you know it's not it's not a case of whether or not he's a top 15 receiver. It's also a case that some of these other top 15 receivers are still in their deals that are going to command bigger, heftier salaries. So by the time they get their deals, he's not going to be top. 15 in base salary anymore I, I assume he's gonna be like around the 20s maybe you know early early 20s like 22 something like that you know I mean, maybe even maybe maybe from 15 to let's say 19 19 it's not a bad spot for him to be honest because he's just that good I like his physicality as a receiver he's nice with he, he has a good possession stance where he's reliable in the in the catch radius department and he's a good route runner, in my opinion. He does well. He has a nice uh, release. He gives chances like, you know, Teddy Bridgewater to at least be reliable in hopes of throwing the ball to him and knowing that he can, he can come down with the ball. And we look at what the Broncos are doing right now. Um, you know, they tied down Tim Patrick, who I said before that he could possibly be a top 10 tight end if he continues this upward trend of being – you know, a good tight end so far this season. But I like this offensive core. I really do. Tim Patrick, I like Cortland Sutton, and obviously you do have Jerry Judy who has been uh, injured here and there, but he still is uh, a top young receiver in the league where I think that he could definitely, if healthy, can break out and be the guy who he says he is and the guy who he was in Alabama. So credit to them for that. And 
Also, I want to say that Cortland Sutton is, is on pace to have a thousand yards again this season. So if he does have a thousand yards once again, that it only does make this deal much more respectable and much more attainable for the Denver Broncos. So I like it. I like it a lot for them. It's it's a bit of a stretch, but for what it's worth, I don't think that he's going to be the 15th or in the top 15 for highest paid receivers come the next few years. So it's a good deal for him. It really is. It really is. Now, guys, let's get into NFL Week 11 recap. You know what time it is, man. You know what time it is. So many things happened this past weekend, man. And now, with I'll do and I'll start by saying that I'm actually not going to start with my Jets this time. I'm going to start with a different team. Because I was just blown away by this performance. I was surprised by this performance as well. The Eagles. Eagles defeating the Saints 40-22. to Now, I came into this game believing that the Eagles were not a better team than the Saints. I thought that whatever they've been doing in the past few weeks would not work against the Saints. And if there was anybody, anybody that could stop this rushing attack, it would be the Saints. But I was wrong. (laughs) Okay, I was wrong. Because the way this Eagles team just pushed them around in the trenches was insane. Talk about offense, at least. The offense line was just bullying that defensive line. The -the up-the-middle runs was just too hard to stop. And the Saints had no answer. No answer whatsoever. The Saints, for me... They came into the game saying that they wanted to stop Jalen Hurts from, you know, these explosive runs and these QB design runs. Well, it did not work at all because they were just taken out of the game. Uh, I believe the first touchdown run, the first touchdown was a run by Jalen Hurts. So there you go right there. So they already lost that department early on in, in the in their game. Now, look at the whole game. Fast forward, Saints are up, Saints are sorry, Saints are down 14 to nothing. Simeon makes a great throw, a great throw, I might say, to Adam Troutman. And we look at the degree of that throw. You see this defenders in his face, right? He's being pressured. He's backpedaling. And Simeon does have this tendency to throw the ball and turn a lot. That's what he does sometimes. He turns the ball, he throws, and either he does that or he just he he hops off of one leg and throws the ball. It's funny sometimes. I, I, I used to watch him in the Denver Broncos uniform and see him do that and he has not changed since i don't really expect him to change but he has not changed since but going back to this game he's under the rest he throws the ball and adam troutman is blanketed i mean he is covered he is covered by the defensive uh player i forget who it was at that time but he is covered and for him to throw adam troutman open and you know the trust on that throw the 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 placement on that throw, the back shoulder throw that basically Adam Trotman just went and got, that was a big respect to him. But that was the best play of the game, to be honest. That was the only good play for the game for them because it was just a, a trash, you know, a, a dog show for them. It was terrible, terrible, terrible. I mean, the defense, right, was pushed back. It was kind of a, a bend, don't break in the first half kind of performance for the defense. I know they were uh down what 20 20 to 7 at one point um and they did give up two early touchdowns but after that it was a case of okay we're gonna stop you know giving up touchdowns we're gonna give up field goals 17 get to 20 
okay, now we're 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 hoping that the offense can get a score, touchdown or field goal to at least give ourselves a chance to come back in the second half. And what does Simeon do? A late throw on the sideline and it's pick six by a big play slay. Big play Darius Slay. Man, oh man. And now they're down 27 to 7 at half. Terrible. Terrible. Now the Saints did come back with two touchdowns. And they actually did have a chance to uh put the game to single digits after forcing a three and out. But what happens? The drive stalls, game is put away by Hurts. Um, and for me, the Eagles are right now the hottest team in the NFL when it comes to rushing the football. They really are. And I'm not too sure why I didn't see this coming because throughout the whole entire year, they've been true to their philosophy of running the football, running the football and being true to that game, staying patient with the game and helping out Jalen Hurts. That's what you want to do. Help out your young QB and make sure that he's able to make easier throws and progressions because he does know that I can take this risk a good risk at least because I know that I have a running game that could get me five, six yards, a snap, you know, a carry. So that's good and all. And the thing about the Eagles is that they have three running backs who give the same similar production, similar positive copacetic production. That's Miles Sanders, Howard, and obviously Boston Scott, you know, Boston Scott, uh, a nice little young, uh, young scat back kind of player. Uh, Howard, who's a, a physical, physical downhill runner. Uh, and obviously you have Miles Sanders, who's kind of a, in between with those two running backs. But they have guys who can pretty much give you five yards per carry every time they touch the football. Every time, which is a great thing to have. They have an offensive line that's very overpowering, very big, smart, and has gained confidence throughout the past couple of weeks. So I look at the Eagles, and I did say that they would be out of this playoff conversation. But once again, I, I will admit that I was wrong because it's looking like they are very much in this playoff conversation despite their record. It's going to be still tough to do so. But you know, that's what this whole playoff race is about, hoping that teams fall and falter as the year goes on, hoping that your team is able to pull out something out of the, the, the bag. So Eagles fans, you, you guys should be really excited because the defense is playing much, much better. And the offense behind that rushing attack, you guys are, are making things happen. And for, there's no one. There's no one right now in the NFL that can stop this Eagles rushing attack. No one. Because if the, state, if the Saints can stop it, then no one can. Let's be honest here. Unless the Eagles have a bad game when, when they're not executing properly, there's no one that can stop it. So kudos to them. They defeat the Saints. And they get the win at home, and they also improve to five and six. Saints fall to five and five. And I also did say that the Saints at the time, to me, were the best of the rest. And the past two weeks, okay, you lost to the Tennessee Titans. That's one. But for them to get pummeled in this game against the Eagles was not something I saw coming. And also to lose at home against the Atlanta Falcons was another loss where I see you guys needed to win that game. Now it's going to be a dogfight because the way that the Vikings have picked up steam the way that the Eagles are picking up steam the 49ers are still in the conversation you know like and the Falcons are still there kind of in a way the Panthers are still kind of there like you guys needed to win these games I thought that they would be able to solidify that sixth spot but they're making it a a, a game now well I'm not sure what's going on Trevor Simeon two bad throws one that was just late and over the middle and 
you know, he doesn't see the that was the first one in the in the first quarter, not over the middle. Sorry, it's on the sideline, but doesn't see the linebacker. Linebacker drops into coverage. He thinks he has his receiver open. He does not. He re- misreads the coverage and it's a pick. Now seven nothing at one point. Now fourteen nothing. Okay, you get a touchdown back, and now your defense is still being pushed back, but they're not bending. I mean, they're not breaking, sorry. They're giving away field goals. And when you need a play to at least try and get a a scoring drive, you throw a pick six. Can't have that. You just cannot have that, man. That's terrible. But in the end, it was a good win by the Eagles. Now, moving on to a game that was very, very, very entertaining to watch, at least for me. Um you have the Colts and the Bills. Now, the Bills just got slapped up on all phases of that game. Oh, Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor, five touchdowns, 185 rushing yards? What? Come on now. So let's start off with the defense, first of all, before we go into the offense. That Colts defense just took away Josh Allen throughout the whole entire game. They took him out the whole entire game. I mean, seriously, it's it's not good to have him making bad decisions already, but for them to come in and play good as well too, it just says a lot. Now, Josh Allen, for me, I'm not sure what's going on with him at this point. Once again, he had two bad picks, one over the middle where it was kind of uh, a misread. The ball was, it was, it was sailed over his receiver and it's picked off. Next one, he just, I'm like, it's a kind of throw where you're just thinking to yourself, what are you doing? Like, why would you throw that? He He's backing up, back backpedaling, and he just throws the ball up. It's a jump ball in the middle of the field. There's like one receiver in the area against three Colts defenders, and I like my chances if I'm taking that jump ball any day if I have three defenders in the vicinity, and he just lofts it, it's tipped up, it's picked, and that pretty much says the game. So, the Bills, for me, shot themselves in the foot. I mean, you had that kickoff return that was fumbled by McKenzie. That was also a momentum booster for the Colts. And the two missed field goals. You know, when you're driving down the field and you have a chance to at least get something positive, like get some points on the board, and you miss two field goals, especially the way you've been dominated the whole entire game, like – that's a morale changer for you. Like it's 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 terrible. It's demoralizing for that team to be able to at least put together some type of scoring drive and for Tyler Bass to miss those two field goals. Not good at all. Um, and you didn't make Carson Wentz do anything throughout the game. It was more so Jonathan Taylor and what he does, and you know, the trend that he's on so far. And so far he's been shot up to the top now when it comes to the odds to win the offensive player of the year award. Because this guy's been on on a tear, he's been on the on a tear, and it, I think it started off with the game against New York Jets where he just ran rampant against us. But ever since then, yo, like this guy has been taking that offense. He's been the best offensive player throughout the whole entire four weeks past, probably the whole entire season at this point, and he has just been doing everything by himself. Now that Colts offensive line is also good too; can push people around. It's not a slouch as well. Carson Wentz. Um, he's asked to at least call into action to do something he can deliver here and there, but they had a philosophy and they were patient with it. They ran the ball down the throats of the bills. Bills had no answer. That defense was just taken aback by how that Colts offense line was just so strong willed and they were just dominant. 
And you look at the people who want to say that the Bills defense is top notch. I mean, yeah, it's top notch. But who did they play? They played a bunch of bum teams, my team included, and they slapped them up. So when they when they take care of these bum teams very, very much so, and they handle the business to them, and it looks all terrible and everything, oh, yeah, of course your stats are going to look great. But when you play teams against Tennessee, the Colts, at home, <laughs> you know, you, you play teams like that, and, you you know, that's not that's not a, a, a an indictment as to how bad those teams are. It's an indictment as to how bad your defense really is. You know, like it that that says it all for me. And for, for the Bills, the biggest thing for me comes to them being too predictable in offense. When are you going to run the football, Buffalo Bills? When are you going to run the football? Because there's no reason why you should have a combined 13 carries in the game. And yes, I get it. They were down for the, every part of this game. Like they were down. They never let it in this game. But it's been a, a trend that I've been seeing so far this season where they don't want to run the football. They're too Josh Allen centric. And that's the problem because when he starts messing up or when he starts making bad decisions, the offense is, is terrible. It looks bad. Run the football. Stay patient. I said this before on uh, Shut Up and Listen by, you know, Chris J, my boy here. And I was on his show recently and I said to myself and to him, Devin Singletary and Zach Moss are two backs who are not top 20 right now in the league. Definitely nowhere near close at this point. But if the Bills made an effort to run the football, I think that either one of them could be top 20. Either one of them. But they're not given the chance to do so because the Bills, they don't want to, you know, give Josh Allen some help here. They don't. They don't. I'm not, I'm not understanding why it is that these guys – don't want to find a way to, you know, keep the, the defense honest and keep them doing things that's different from what a traditional Bills offense this whole season has looked so far. Like, I don't understand why it's happening. Listen, Brian Dayball, for me, you have to do better. Got to do better because there's no reason why your offense should look so predictable. It's, it's easy for us to, as a defense, to say, okay, we know that they're not going to run the football. So defense ends. Defense linemen, all we need you guys to do is just to put pressure on Josh Allen, force him into bad mistakes, and we're, we're going to drop back six, seven in coverage. That's it. Because since they want to pass the ball so damn much, we're going to make sure that they are worked hard to find the completions within the coverage. But they're not even trying. They're not. So for me, the Bills, man, they're looking bad right now. And now the second in the, in the division, again, oh, my goodness, second in the division against the Patriots, They've been playing some bad football while the Patriots have picked it up as of late. You guys need to find a way to pick things up. But moving on, um, now we have the Browns and the Lions. Listen, Detroit defense came to play. You know, they came to play, and to me, it was one of the better performances from them in the season. They held Cleveland to 13 points. And might I add, also add that what a player that DeAndre Swift is. What a player. I mean, 136 yards rushing, one TD. Uh, the run blocking g- gained confidence as the game went on. And, oh, by the way, Sewell is playing much better for those haters out there that were saying that he was kind of a bust. Not a bust, but he was playing bad and he's trash. So playing bad is one thing, but to say he's trash because he's playing bad in his rookie season, come on now, let's stop it, you know? Um, But you have a guy 
and Bowl, who's starting his game, right, for the Lions, two very bad picks, two very bad picks. So the defense gets the ball for you in the second possession on defense for them, right? They get the ball for you, and they get it down to the red zone pretty much, and he throws a pick in the red zone. Like you cannot do that. You cannot throw. You cannot do that in the red zone. He's trying to. He's trying to throw the ball to DeAndre Swift, but the ball is way behind him. I'm not even sure how he's overselling that pass way behind DeAndre Swift. But that's terrible. And the next pick, he basically overthrows Reynolds on the the go route on the. I believe it's a post, uh, either a post or a go route on that play. But anyways, you know, it, it was a game plan that should have been. Listen, we know we have a, a backup quarterback. Let's find a way to get the ball out of his hands quickly, and let's hope that we can get some yak yards. Basically, our receivers running after the catch, and hopefully we can make something happen, make it a third and three, third and two, and make it much more manageable for us to pick up as the game goes on. But they did none of that, um, and you can see why Dan Campbell didn't want him to throw the ball down deep. But still, there was no offensive game plan that made me say, yes, they had came in here, because I see it with the Cardinals, and yes, it's different coaching staffs here and there, but you can still have a game plan that could help out your quarterback who is going on the road, starting his game so far, the first of his in this season. But it was lackluster from them. Now, the Browns won, but very disappointingly. Um, Baker was terrible. And Nick Chubb and that offensive line basically bailed them out. He had 130 yards rushing. He did score a receiving touchdown as well, too. And for the Browns' standpoint, I must say, to score only 13 points against this defense that's not terrible. Like people, I know it's been garbage so far this season, but I think that's more so a case of the overall team and how bad it's been playing this season. But it's not that bad. You know, if they had offensive help, this team would be much more better in the defensive category. Let's be honest. That's what I think. But the Browns for me still at home, uh, Baker Mayfield, you still have enough talent enough to score more than 13 points. You didn't do so. This win was still much very needed, but it wasn't a great win by any means necessary. But still, a good win for the Browns to at least get the win and the victory. Now, moving on, I so watched this game, the Raiders and the Bengals, which I predicted that the Raiders would win this game, and I was whew, I was wrong about this game. <laughs> Jeez. Okay. So, the Raiders' D came to play, right? Three sacks in the game. That's not bad. And once again, also similar to the Saints, it was a bend, don't break until the fourth quarter defense that, that I saw throughout the whole entire game. But the issue was for me, they had no answer for Joe Mixon, right? To stop the run, the 123 yards rushing for Joe Mixon, two touchdowns. And the Raiders offense didn't do enough to score points. I mean, you can't have your D playing so great early on just to give them punts and to not convert, you know, when you get down in the red zone. Like, you can't have that. You can't. Six, six, nothing, six, six, you know, at one point, six, nothing, six, seven. You have to score touchdowns. You have to. So fast forward, the Raiders make it a game. Derek Carr lost a beautiful throw down the sideline to Foster Moreau. It's now uh, 13, I believe 13, 17 at that point, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but the Bengals respond. And they, here goes, you know, uh, Chase, Ed, Chase, Jamal Chase once again with the back of the end zone catch for a touchdown. And Carthos a bad pick. The game is pretty much over. And I also want to give a shout-out to my guy, Trey Hendrickson, okay, because he had the forced fumble. And then he also led that to my guy, Sam Hubbard, 
recovering, and that boy was moving. He was moving, man. Yo, I love when the big guys move with the football. Yeah, show that shifty move, go. That's what I'm talking about. Show that. Yes, sir. But anyways, on a, on a serious note, the defense had a great day. I'm talking about the Bengals, one of seven on third down and two takeaways. That was pretty good. That was pretty good indeed. Uh, I would say Joe Burrow did enough to win the game, but he also had a, a good defense that just took away that Raiders offense. And back-to-back weeks, the Raiders have scored, what, 13 or 14 points. Our, our offense that has been no slouch this season, but they have managed to score only 13 or 14 points the past two weeks. Not good at all. But for the Bengals, a much-needed win. For the Raiders, not so much. Um, I did actually pick the Raiders to be a wild card spot. There is still time, but both these teams, you can see the kind of uh, needing a big result down the stretch. Bengals are now six and four. Raiders fall to five and five. Now moving on, I did like and enjoy this game a lot because it was to me the best performance that I've seen from this defense in a long time. Now the Chiefs and Cowboys um, holding that Cowboys offense nineteen points. That was the best game. I've seen from Chris Jones, from Frank Clark. If you saw Chris Jones and the way he was acting, unstoppable. 3.5 sacks. Yo, I like stop all this nonsense about Chris Jones being a defensive end. No, put him in his natural position, a defensive tackle, and let him make some plays. Push the pocket. And you saw in the game that he just manhandled that whole Cowboys offensive line. And I was so excited to see the likes of Frank Clark finally make an appearance this season. I mean, geez. You know, off the edge, he was electric, but it was mostly Chris Jones' show because he just took apart that whole entire offensive line, which is no slouch, by the way. One of the best offensive lines in football right now. But he just took apart that whole offensive line and, and took over that game, took over the whole entire game. Now, the biggest thing for me was, the Chiefs took the fight to the Cowboys, which is what I wasn't expecting, to be honest. I thought it would be more so the Cowboys doing the the, the, the former and them being more the aggressor in this game. But the Chiefs were all over them in coverage as well, too. Very, very sticky coverage. Um, Legereus Need played well. And on top of that, the pressure was immense, immaculate. I mean, it reminded me of the Cowboys and the way they, they just got pummeled by the Broncos a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but you look at this game and you see the Chiefs offense made a couple of explosive plays at times. They could have put the, the game away, but the job pass by Kelsey leads to a pick by Curse. Uh, um, you know, the points that were not scored in the red zone that were field goals instead of touchdowns. Uh, but overall, though, it was a defensive performance from both teams, actually, because Michael Parsons as well, too. We can't forget about him. Two sacks, two tackles for a loss. Had a strip uh, sack against Mahomes. That was great, too. Listen, man, he did his thing. He did his thing. Um, But for Dak and his offense, could not get going. Could not. I mean, he faced pressure. We get that. But he also had one bad pick in the red zone that he lofted off the pass to CeeDee Lamb, and it was picked off. I'm not sure if that was a, a great throw. Definitely wasn't, to me, in my opinion. And instead of coming away with at least three points, you come away with, no points on that drive, you know, to end the half. And on top of that, I get it. No Amari Cooper, no CD Lamb. But still, you still have Zeke. You still have Tony Pollard out there. You still have an offensive line that's, you know, good enough to get the job done. And you also still do have Dak Prescott, who is what he says he is, a top five QB in the league. Um, he should be able to at least make 
a better plays out of this game. And he did not, unfortunately. And I get it. You know, Cedric Wilson and all these other guys, they might, they might not be Amari Cooper or C.D. Lamb, but they can still produce a little bit, you know? Like, they can still make a game happen. But it was not their game that day. And are the Chiefs back? I mean, maybe. I'm not I, Me, personally, I'm not ready to crown them just yet for them to be back, but they may be back. They're on a good trend upward, you know? And we look at the the kind of plays that they had in the game. I mean, the punting the ball instead of going for a field goal, that just reminds me of Chiefs all over again, man. Like, the smart plays like that, because they had all the right to do that. Punt the ball instead of taking a long field goal. We're going to play defense because our defense has been playing great the whole entire game so far. So why not? Why not do it? And on that ensuing drive, they get a pick to end the game. So, yes, do that. But listen, man, they might be back. I'm not ready to crown them as of yet, but still, nevertheless, a great win by them. That was, if the offense can get things going, then watch out. (laughs) Watch out, watch out. Now, Seahawks and Cardinals. Cardinals get the win on the road. Cards defense controlled that whole entire game. Bent, didn't break. Held the Seahawks to only two field goals in the red zone. Wilson sacked four times. Coverage was mostly good throughout the whole entire game. And for me, right, when it comes to the Cardinals, this is why I say they are the best team in football right now as it stands. Because when you have a backup QB in Colt McCoy, yes, I know he's a good backup QB. But I just want to admire Cliff Kingsbury and Jim Dre for being able to call up a great offensive game plan that allowed them to utilize the short passing game, get the ball out of his hands quickly, and let his receivers make plays as well as him being so good as a backup and for who he is, he made plays in that game with his legs, you know, extending plays here and there. I loved it about it. I loved that whole entire offensive game plan. It was great to watch. It really was. You know, Zach Ertz went wild, 88 yards, two touchdown passes. A.J. Green, yes, A.J. Green, yes. This is what we want to see from you without DeAndre Hopkins. Yes. Make the tough catches. Make the big catches on the road too as well. And let's go home. Let's go home. Now, for the Seahawks, very, very disappointing. Very disappointing. Uh, As I mentioned before, Russell Wilson sacked four times. Pretty much no help down the field whatsoever outside of Tyler Lockett. I mean, I'm not sure what it is, to be honest, because Tyler Lockett, you can see that the, the connection between him and Wilson is so evident. But I noticed this when Wilson was out. When he was out, Geno Smith went to DK. When Wilson is back, he goes to Ty Lockett. Like, like, we need a balance here. We need a balance to get all those guys involved. Not just Tyler, Tyler Lockett, but we need to get DK Metcalf involved too. And I'm not too sure why it's always a case of Wilson not seeing DK enough in games, not targeting him enough in games. Maybe he is, but there needs to be more production from him man, on his standpoint because he is still one of the more better receivers in this league. It's not showing on the game stats though. Or on the on the game production, either way. But for them, once again, uh, defense was a little bit lackluster and against a, a, a well-organized offense in the Cardinals. But still, you would want if, – if it's any game you want to face the Cardinals, you want to face them at this moment without Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. And once again, they did not come to play. So for them to do this, I mean, seriously, Colt McCoy, both his games – that he's won on the road against division and opponent opponents. 
Seahawks and 49ers, great wins in my opinion. Great wins. And, you know, last week was an aberration because I guess they didn't account for Cam Newton and how he was going to come in and take apart that whole entire game. But so far, this team is doing what it has to do. It's doing exactly what it has to do. And you look at the whole schedule and everything. If they can continue to win games, people already didn't give them a chance as it was to be a serious contender in the NFC. But if they can have home field advantage, boy, they can give themselves a chance. So watch out. Watch out because it's definitely possible. And looking at the whole entire standings, Cowboys lost, Packers lost, Buccaneers won, but they've looked shaky in the past couple of weeks, and Rams are on the bye. So, hmm, I love it. And I, I can see the Seahawks, not Seahawks, the Cardinals making some noise in the playoffs when it comes. So be prepared for that. Anyways, moving on, I I, I was trying to prolong this game, but I'll go to this game, man. Jets and Dolphins. Jets and Dolphins. Jets and Dolphins. Now, Dolphins came out of the gate and scored a touchdown. Now, I'm thinking to myself, here we go again. Here we go again. So, my defense, the good thing about this defense is that it did not give up 45 points this week. It gave up only 24 points, about half, against a putrid offense in the Dolphins, might I add. Uh, But, yes, still the defense played okay. Got a pick by Ashton Davis's first career pick. Uh. And also forced a couple of punts here and there. But there was a coverage breakdown towards the end of the the third quarter, I believe, third or fourth quarter, where, you know, so the play is a cover three base defense, right? It's cover three base. And the reason why Hollins was so open on that play, which he ends up scoring a touchdown on that play, is our cornerback, Isaiah Dunn, is, is supposed to take away the deep third. Right, it's, it's cover three. Take away the, the deep third. Uh, safety comes down. He does his job. There's two receivers against two cornerbacks. I mean, two defensive backs, right? Safety comes down. Cover three. He does his job. Takes away the curl flat. Now, what we want our cornerback to do, as he had done, is take away the, the deep third. But what does he do? He's too worried about the, the curl flat receiver and what he's doing. And he just leaves his whole assignment to take away the deep third against Kyle Hollins, who ends up scoring a touchdown on that play because our other safety can't get there in time. You know, so it was a bad defensive breakdown. Uh, you know, guys, I have been doing some film review. So, yes, I, I definitely do know what I'm talking about now, and I will continue to get better as the year goes on, as life goes on, to be honest, because I do aim to break down each play and to know the game at a very, very, very deep level. Now, Moving on, though, um, it was a bad play on that hand. But we come back again. Elijah Moore, what a stud he is. 141 yards, one touchdown, the long touchdown pass from Joe Flacco. That was great, excellent. I was cheering. I'm thinking to myself, we might win this game. But what happens? Um, the defense, once again, gives up a long touchdown drive, uh, throw over the middle to Miles My- Gaskins. The game is essentially over. Now, a couple of things I want to note about this game. Um, I did like the fourth down call to go for in the first half. So, you know, you're you're two and eight team at this point. Just go for it. Like the fan of me says go for it. And obviously you want to do the logical thing depending on the situation. But it's first quarter, just go for it. Like it's, it's not gonna it's not gonna harm us, in my opinion. It didn't come to harm us because we, we scored a touchdown on that play. So I like that call. Um and also when we was backed up, the issue for me is after the after the Dolphins scored to the Miles Gaskins touchdown is not 21-14. And we were backed up in our own half. 
we needed to at least flip field position, and we did not do that. That was the issue. We just got, what, three and out, punt, short punt, and the game is essentially over. You can't have that happen when you are trying to win the game. You can't. It's either you go down, drive, and score a touchdown to tie the game up, or you flip the field position. Hopefully, you force a three and out quickly, get the ball back, and score. But that did not happen, and I'm happy because Zach Wilson has now been cleared to come back into the fold, and he will start against the Texans. So, yes, I get to see my boy Zach Wilson back in action. But once again, an L for the Jets. Dolphins have now won three straight, I believe, and the Jets 2-8. and eight. Now, a game in which no one really saw coming. Texans had not scored a touchdown or road touchdown since week two, and they scored two against the Tennessee Titans. So what happened? Tyrod Taylor happened, right? <laughs> First touchdown was a great effort. Second one was him making something out of nothing. Um, but the first one was, was just great. I mean, the way he just leaped over defenders into the end zone was just immaculate. Immaculate. But we know that the defense played well. Defense had four takeaways. Uh, but the biggest story was Ryan Tannehill. And I get it. You don't have A.J. Brown. You don't have Julio Jones. Those guys are big-name receivers. They are big-time players. But for him to look that bad against a Texas defense that has been not bad, it's, it's much more better than what people think, but it's not great. It's not, I wouldn't say it's good either. So for him to look that bad against them at home, like you have two picks in the red zone. That's one. You have one pick when you're driving down to try and score a touchdown. That's that's two right there. And then you have that one ending pick that pretty much the game was already over at that point. But seriously, oh, the Titans just shot themselves in the foot. The fumble on the punt return, it hits Rogers' foot. And now it's like, okay, the momentum is still with the Texans. And now they're just pushing on, you know. And there's too many blunders in the game. And despite all of that, you still had a chance to win. You still had a chance to win, and you blew it. You blew it, okay? Mike Rabel, I get it. You are an aggressive coach, but I did not agree with that fourth down call, especially, especially when your offense has been shaky the whole entire day. Your defense just forced a three and out. I, I you know, Prior to that three and out, they got driven back for a touchdown, but, you know, they forced a three and out kick the field goal, and let's get some points on the board, and let's hope that the defense can get a three and out and hopefully, you know, uh, give us the ball back to score. But you didn't do that. Fourth and six, you go for it. It was a terrible call, a terrible call. I'm not sure what he's doing on that play. Seriously, it was well played by the Texans. No one was open, and you get the ball back, the, the Texans punt, but more time is wasting on the clock. You don't want that. At that stage of the game, you don't want that at all, at all. Man, and yes, also I have to mention that Bullock did just miss a field goal, but he's been reliable this season. I think he's been reliable enough to trust him in that situation to kick the field goal, get some points, and then get the ball back, hopefully to score another possession. But you did not do that. Seriously, it was a bad call by him, in my opinion. And this was the first time that the Tennessee, Tennessee Titans needed to rely on Ryan Tannehill to carry them in the game, and he failed. You know, the last two games were a combination of special teams and defense. Rams messed it up. They got pushed back on defense, uh, saying, you know, special teams as well, too. And then the Saints Saints were not really threatening in that game. So Ryan Tannehill did not need to be threatened in that game. 
But this game right here, he was down for the entire portion of the game. And you look now, all these blunders, picks here and there, the punt, fumble, it's now 13 nothing. It's hard. It's hard to come back from that big of a deficit. It's hard. You know, I don't care who you are. It's hard to do that. So, man, you know, stick to – and the whole, the whole thing about running the football, it wasn't enough. I mean, only 25 carries is not good enough at all. Where is your philosophy? Why does your philosophy now go down the window or go out the window when Derrick Henry leaves and you're and he's injured? Like, run the football still. Adrian Peterson was still on the team. He's not there anymore. It's not going to be given to Hilliard. He's going to have more carries. But stick to your philosophy, run the football, and open up plays for the game. But that was not happening that day. And listen, man, it was a... Uh, a well-deserved win by the te- 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 uh, the Texans, but still the ten- Tennessee Titans, for me, played garbage. Garbage. Now, Jags and 49ers. I think it's safe to say that the Urban Meyer and T-Law experiment has failed. Trevor Lawrence has not looked like how he was supposed to look like this season. Um, you know, and still, it is only their first full season together, but they just don't look competitive in any of these games. You know, first drive, punt. Second drive fumble by Chenault. You know, like you all these these are points right here. These are, are points that are that are crucial. And now is you look and it's now 10 nothing. You, you know, so they had no answer for the for the 49ers offense. Uh a very controlled win. Couldn't get much going on offense themselves. And also I gotta give a shout out to Brandon Ayuk, who has kind of come alive in the past couple of weeks. He scored, as well as George Kittle, he scored as well, too. And when we look at the whole 49ers outlook. I know I said that they might not be a playoff spot or a playoff team this year, but it's they're still in the race. They are. They are still in the race, man. I'm not sure just yet. I, I'm not ready to crown them as a contender, but they are still in the race. Now, for the Jaguars, once again, that defense had no answer. Debo Samuel was just carving them boys up. Them boys up. Man, that guy is tough. That guy is tough indeed. I, I was wrong. I was wrong. I didn't say I didn't think he was going to be this good. But I was definitely wrong for the type of production that he would have this season. But you can never predict these things sometimes. You just can never. But anyways, it was a good win, good controlled win by them on the road. Um, you know, Jaguar scored a, a garbage touchdown with James Robinson. doesn't really matter. But, you know, the biggest question for them is, are they really improving? Do you see any signs of improvement throughout the whole entire weeks for Jaguars fans out there? Like, do you see your, any hope? The hope could be Trevor Lawrence, but who is his coach? Like, do you have do you have any belief, any faith in Urban Meyer to turn this around? I certainly don't. I don't. I never did, to be honest. I never did. But moving on, Ravens and Bears. Now, a first half story. Punt, 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 punt. Oh, sorry. We actually, we do have a couple of things here. Okay, so we have a field goal. We have a field goal. Okay, now actually some things here. A missed field goal. We're a fumble here and there. Okay, so not bad, not bad, but mostly punt, 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 punt. So, despite the punts, Ravens on the road, starting a sophomore QB and Tyler Huntley are up six to nothing at halftime. If you are a Ravens fan, you have to feel good about that. You have to. Like you have to feel good about your chances of actually winning the game. You know, because the Bears didn't do enough to properly execute on offense and also give credit to that Ravens defense because aside from the missed field goal, they made a couple of plays, a lot, a couple of plays in the first half and a lot of plays in the second half 
you know, to to warrant them winning that football game. You know, it was great, great performance by them. Great performance by them. Um, but fast forward though, fast forward, and you know, you have a fumble by Fields in the first half, but you also have him leaving the game injured. But fast forward to the fourth quarter. It only takes two plays for Andy Dalton to score the game's first touchdown. Darnell Mooney, what a guy he is so far this past couple of weeks, breaks two tackles and takes it to the house for 60 yards. And he finished the game with 121 yards and one touchdown. Now here come the Ravens, long field goal drive, seven plays for 17 yards. Oh my goodness, 17 yards. There we have it. But they take the lead and it's now nine to seven. Now, Chicago backs against the wall. And this is probably the probably the, the most the the worst play the Ravens have done all day in terms of defense. The coverage breakdown wide open. Wide open is Godwin. And I mean he was wide open because there was not really a Ravens defender in sight. Not a, a Ravens defender in sight. And he's hit for a touchdown. And you're thinking to myself, the Bears might win this game. They might. But Huntley. Huntley has got heart and guts, man, because for him to lead a 72-yard touchdown drive was insane. And the best play of that game, rolling to his right under duress and throws the ball 29 yards to Sammy Watkins. Oh, my goodness. Devontae Freeman ends the game with a run touchdown, and it's a good, it's a good win for the Ravens. Uh, a good – probably, in uh, you know, depending on the, this, the, the factors around them, it's a great win for them because – the Browns won. The Steelers lost. Um, the Bengals won. So you needed to win this game. You needed to win this game, you know? Um, and also for the defense, you forced the fumble, made a stop on fourth down, forced three and outs all day. It was a great, great win. Now, it wasn't pretty. wasn't the best. wasn't the sexiest. But, you know, you have to win some of these games sometimes. And listen, for the Ravens standpoint, Huntley got sacked six times in that game. But for him to come back, you know, bounce back and lead a touchdown winning drive. That was impressive. That was impressive by him. It was it was really impressive. I, I was shocked to see what he was able to do. And listen, man, the Ravens for me, this team has got heart because the past couple of the times where they were down double digits and they had to come back to win these games, Lions, uh, you know, Lions, uh, you had this team in the in the 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 Bears. You had the the Vikings, you know, like all these, the Colts, for them to come back and to win this game, that's insane. Insane. So give credit where credit is due. Now the Panthers and the Washington football team. So Cam came back home for his first game, and he didn't really end the way he wanted it to. He played good. Two touchdown passes and one rushing touchdown brought back the memories of his old days in the Panthers uniform. But what did I tell you guys about Taylor Heineke? That guy is a baller, and despite what people may think about whether or not he's the answer for Washington or, or not, he is a baller. I said this, he's a baller. He didn't do too much, but 206 yards and three TDs, that's good enough production for me to win a game. It definitely is. You know, the fourth down throw when it's tied 21 all, and he it was insane. I mean, rushing to his left, he's buying time, he's buying time. He gets the ball, completes to his receiver. And now we're in business. We're in business. Okay. Scary Terry in football world. I mean, Terry McLaurin, bad man. Bad man, 103 yards, one touchdown. 
now we fast forward to a 24-21 lead for the Washington football team. You know, Heineke missed a, a, a throw in the end zone that could have possibly put them up a touchdown. But regardless, they're up by three points. Panthers get the ball over. And what do they do? Turn the ball over on downs. Oh, my goodness. Now, listen. Despite him playing good that whole entire game, I must say, this last play made by Cam Newton on that fourth down throw was not a good throw by me. It, it was not, you know. Um, you have you have a, a guy that was running his route, CMC, Christian McCaffrey, running the out route, um, but the ball was a little bit late, a little bit behind him, and to me, if you throw, like, Give credit where credit is due. The Cameron Crow, the defender, he made a great play. He made a great play to stop him well short of the sticks. But I think that if Cam Newton throws that ball on time and throws it in front of uh, CMC, he definitely gets the first down. Definitely. But because the throw is late, because it's behind him a little bit, CMC now has to turn around, catch it, and it gives him just enough time for Crow to come back and make the tackle. And the game is pretty much a harder one for them to win. No, they, they still have a chance, 27-21, because the, the Washington football team does nothing with the football in terms of icing it and putting the game away. Uh, they only kick a field goal. So now 27-21, Panthers get the ball back. They're driving, they're driving down the field. And, oh, my goodness, a final play is made by a defensive line that has been a shell of his former self dating back to last season. But they get the sack. They get the game ball because that was a great sack. And, you know, it ruined – the likes of Cam Newton and his homecoming for uh, Carolina. But once again, man, Washington, surprisingly, they have picked up steam. Two wins and two uh, Buccaneers and the uh, Panthers. Good wins right there. But like I said before, man, this guy is a baller. Taylor Haneke is a baller. He's a baller. He's a baller indeed. Now, moving on to a game in which was very exciting to watch. I mean, <laughs> very, very, very exciting to watch. Chargers and the Steelers. All right. Now, Herbert probably played his best game so far of the season. The way he was able to use his legs to get out of trouble the whole night. I mean, nine carries for 90 yards was insane. You don't really expect that from a guy like Herbert. We know that he's mobile, but for him to be able to move within that pocket and make plays happen, he just gassed up that whole entire defense gassed it up. And yes, they don't have TJ Watt. They don't have Joe Hayden. They don't have Minka Fitzpatrick. So that played a role as well too. But still, for him to do that, not taking anything away from Justin Herbert because he played really well. He played really well. He threw for 382 yards, three touchdowns, one pick. That pick was once again made by a player, Cam Hayward, who that tip drill, man. We'll get into that later. But what a player he is so far once again this season. And also for the Chargers offense, Moved the ball effectively throughout the whole entire night. They had no answer for Keenan Allen, nine receptions for 112 yards. And it's one of those games where you could just say that the Steelers may be in trouble once again because, I mean, on defense at least, because they had no answer for the Chargers offense. No answer. Chargers offense just everything was working for them. Everything, you know. So moving on, though, uh, they were 7 of 12 on third down, a total of 533 yards. Wow. So let's go to the Steelers standpoint. Steelers did not run the ball enough for me. And why would you not run the ball? Why? Why would you not run the ball, Steelers? Why? 
Why? I have to keep on asking that. Why? Because this team is in the bottom league, bottom league when it comes to stopping the run. And you give Harris only 12 carries? 12? Not enough. Not enough. A total of 18 total carries for the whole entire rushing game. That is not enough. Like, why? They're giving you a platter to say, here, take it. This is our this is our, our weakest point of the team. It, it, it is a weak point. But you guys don't take advantage of that. And listen, man, 18 times is not enough at all. It's not. I'm sorry. It is not. But give credit to Big Ben because he played good enough to win once again. Three touchdown passes. And, you know, the Steelers found a way to get back into this game somehow. They did. At one point, it was 27, uh, I believe 27 to, to 10. Cut the lead down to 13. And we have a block punt. We have a tip drill, once again, by forced by Cam Hayward, who, you know, Justin Herbert did no wrong in that entire game. And that pick wasn't even his fault as well, too. It was a great play by Cam Hayward. He tips that. It's picked off a diving pick. And we're in business. And also, once again, I like the call on fourth down early on in the game. Just defended pretty well. You know, earlier on, the Steelers were trying to get a fourth down uh, touchdown. The Chargers were ready for it. You know, it's not it's not a bad play designed to flip it with a fry move coming in and trying to score the touchdown, but Chargers were ready for it, and that was a good play. You know, what I did not like, though, was the Chargers' fourth down call. Now, that was terrible, you know, because I don't really view Austin Eckler as a guy who can consistently get rushes up the middle for, you know, uh, for one-yard games, one-yard, two-yard games when you really need it. You know, get him an edge, get him on the, on the space, and let's see what he could do with a puller, a tackle, pulling a guard, pulling here and there. You know, that up-the-middle stuff against Cam Hayward? No. And also, a guy who was uh, a hero that, that play, Joe Schobert. He made a great play, got into the backfield first, tackled him for a loss, and now the Steelers are in business. They're in business. They take the lead, 34-31. And now, here is the most important play of the game by far. Um, the Steelers have a breakdown on this Mike Williams touchdown. Now, for those who are at home, I'm going to try to explain this as well as possible. But, you know, if you know football, then I guess you could understand what I'm saying here. If you don't, I'm sorry. I'm going to try to explain it. But Steelers are basically playing cover two on this play. Two deep safeties. You know, the cornerbacks are taking away the flat routes. They're taking away the, the anything that comes to their zone, obviously. So we see one cornerback in, um, you know, I forget his name. I even oh yeah, Cameron Sutton. Cameron Sutton, yes. Cameron Sutton is is playing the curl the curl zone. Yeah, he's playing the the curl. He's taking away the flats. He sees two receivers. One is Mike Williams, and the other one I forget who it is, but. The one receiver that is not Mike Williams, he breaks inside. Now, I'm not sure why, for instance, he's worried about the inside receiver because he's not threatening his zone at all. Like, he's not coming into his zone. So, once he realizes that, okay, this receiver is not coming into my zone, what I can now do to at least help my safety out is make the hole smaller, right? Push my 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 my, my flat zone a little bit upward. Uh, so that it, it'll be a hard throw for Herbert to make if he decides to throw that in between Sutton and the and the and the, and the safety. I believe it's Tremaine Edwards or Terrell Edwards Edmonds. Sorry, yes, no. But he's worried about the slot guy for no reason. It's a mental breakdown. 
and you just have Mike Williams down the sideline for a free <laughs> touchdown, basically. Edmonds can get there in time, and it's a game-changing play. A game-changing play. Listen, man, for them, um, similar to, you know, my Jets play, Isaiah Dunn, a guy who's just not worried about his responsibility. Like, he, he has a mental breakdown when it comes to, you know, reading the coverage and making the play on that specific play because he was too worried about the receiver that was not threatening his zone. He's not. You know, and same thing here. Cameron Sutton, his zone was not threatened. So why are you worried about the inside, you know, inside uh, zones that the linebackers are supposed to be taken away? I don't get it at all. But still, you know, a good win for the Chargers. That was a very, very, very entertaining game to watch. I mean, it was a great game to watch. And if you did watch the game, great for you. If you did not, you missed out on a great game. Now, moving on. That was a lot of football talk. <laughs> a lot of football talk. But we have some basketball talk, man. Let's get into it right now. Let's get into our our rapid predictions and also our recap of last night's game action. Now, we had a lot of games. And I'm just going to go through these really quickly. Nets defeat the Cavaliers 117 to 112. Um, they improved to 13 to 5. Cavs fall to 9 and 9 so far this season. Durant 27 points. Garland 24 points. Good for them. Um, Hornets defeat the Wizards. Wow, surprising. But the Hornets have made, they have been getting some really quality wins. Like some some really good wins. Some quality wins. I mean, you had the, the Warriors at one point. You had, now you have the Wizards, I believe. I forget who else they played. But, you know, so far they're 11 to 8 right now. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry. They did play the, the Knicks. They beat the Knicks. Good win for them. Um, and, you know, and they they are playing some good basketball right now. They really are, despite their record at 11-8. But they get the win at home. Um, sorry, on the road. Let me not say that. Um, Terry Wazir, what a player he is. 32 points. My goodness. <laughs> you know? Uh, and the Wizards were led by uh, Montrez Harrell with 24 points. But they had no answer for Terry Rozier. Like, no answer whatsoever. He took over that whole entire game. The whole entire game. Moving on, we have the Atlanta Hawks at home defeating the Thunder, uh, 113 to 101. Josh Giddy was the leading scorer for 15 points. Wow. Mm. But it was a tale of the second half because the second half was basically taken over by Trey Young, 30 points, and they came on to beat the Thunder at home. Uh, Celtics improved to 10 and 8 behind a win against the reeling Houston Rockets. Uh, Tatum scores. 30 points in that game, and the Rockets were led by Armani Brooks. Wow. And once again, I don't want to keep on bashing this team, but no one really shot well so far this team, I mean, this season, and it showed once again last night. Now, moving on, uh, the Bulls got blown out. Can you believe that? The Bulls got blown out at home against the Pacers in a game where Lonzo Ball didn't play his best, and you can see that whenever he doesn't play his best, he was 0 for 7 last night, 0 for 7, 0 for 7. When he doesn't play his best, the team usually doesn't play his best. That's pretty much it. I think he's the engine for that team. And, you know, no one really played the best last night, uh, except for probably DeMar DeRozan. He had a uh, nice, efficient, nice shooting. But aside from that, you know, it, it wasn't the best of games for the Bulls. But credit to the Pacers. They came in. Every starter had double figures in, in, their, in their win. And that was a good performance by them. Now, moving on, the Bucks get the win at home. They just slapped up the magic. Oh, my goodness. Slapped them up left, right, and center. Scored 36 in the first quarter, 41 in the second quarter. How do you do that, Magic? How do you do that? I don't get it. Like, why? Why? You know, Drew Holiday came alive, finally, 18 points. 
uh, not too bad. But the biggest thing for me when it comes to Drew Holiday is the efficiency. Can he score efficiently? You know, you have Giannis, you have Middleton who are going to take their shots. So I need Drew Holiday to not be a, a great scorer, but I need him to be efficient. I need him to be efficient. And, it, and it's tough to do that sometimes when you get, you know, little looks here and there to try and score the basketball, especially when you're trying to play defense and you're trying to run the offense as it is. But, you know, it's a task that I believe he can accomplish, definitely. But still, it was a much very controlled victory for the Bucks. a very, very, very much blown out victory for them. They improved to 10 and 8, the Magic fall to 4 and 14. Ah, Timberwolves, Pelicans. Yes, Timberwolves went on the road. Eight and nine so far this season. Pelicans are three and 16. Towns has 28 points in that win. And Willie Hernan Gomez, Willie Hernan Gomez, if I said that right, yes. They had a good night. Eight of nine shooting. That's pretty good. That is pretty good at us. No, that's actually really good. It's really good. But anyways, aside from Towns, he did have some help here from Anthony Edwards, 18 points. Um, Vanderbilt as well to 16 points. Everyone scored double figures. Everyone. Uh, and on a poor night where D'Angelo Russell was shooting 3 of 16, 1 of 10 from 3, it's good that they got a, a good win on the road. A good win, you know. Moving on, Suns defeat the Spurs. Suns, man. Suns have won their third team straight, and they beat the Spurs, which I thought the Spurs, once again, are not a bad team, but have not been playing the best basketball, at least, to date. Devin Booker, 23 points. Derek White, 19 points. I love it from the Suns. They are playing some great basketball, consistent basketball. And you can see that they have not fallen off. Like, people thought that they would come in here and they wouldn't be the same. Well, they have some news for you haters out there. We will play winning basketball and we will get back to the finals. I'm not saying it will happen because the Warriors are playing some great basketball themselves. But still, they have a shot. They have a shot. Um, also, shout out to my boy, Deontay Murray, 18 points. 9 of 22 shooting, not that great, but, you know, it's still something at least. And Devin Vassell off the bench, 17 points, not bad as well too, you know. But moving on, uh, Grizzlies get the win. You see the Grizzlies team, man, the way they were able to come back in that game. At one point, Bogey had just made two three-pointers, and I'm thinking to myself that a minute 15 left, game might be over. might be over, you know. But give credit to them Grizzlies because they battled back. In a night where they took advantage of Donovan Mitchell not scoring the best, um, quite frankly, you know, aside from Donovan Mitchell, no one really stood out from that game except for probably Bogey, uh, Hassan Whiteside off the bench, you know, not 12 points. Jordan Clarkson, not that great of a shooter last night. Joe Ingles, not enough shots for me, one of three shooting. Uh, but in the end, it was a go-ahead three by Jaron Jackson, who has had the green light to shoot a three the whole entire night. He took 11 threes last night. 11 threes, 26 points though. So that's pretty good. And this guy did himself justice. And John Moran to 32 points, not a 30 shooting. That is not great at all. But still, it was a guy who was the unsung hero of last night and played very, very efficient. Desmond Bain, he had it cooking early on and he could not stop scoring. Seriously, he could not. And they needed that production from him. They, they, they really did. Because if not, that game would have been lost. But you know, good clutch play by uh, Jaron Jackson. Good scoring early on by Bain. And obviously you have your star, your playmaker, and John Moran doing the business. Now, finally, Kings lose at home to the 76ers, who will prove the 10-8. Kings fall to 6-12. and 12. 76ers, led by Tyrese Maxey and De'Aaron Fox, led by, you know, De'Aaron Fox, 
uh, 23 points, and he led the Kings for that night. But in the end, Sixers pull away late in the fourth quarter, and they win the game. Now, rapid predictions for tonight. Heat and Pistons, I got to go with my Heat tonight. Lakers and Knicks, I'll go Knicks at home. Uh, Nuggets and Trailblazers, I, oh, back to the next game. So it's so sad that, Le- that LeBron's not going to play that game. But anyways, Nuggets and Trailblazers, I'll go Nuggets. Yeah, I'll go Nuggets. I'll go Nuggets. And last but not least, Mavericks and Clippers. I will go ooh, Clippers. Clippers. And there you have it for the rapid predictions. Be sure to be able to look, guys, and hear and see whatever you do uh, to see if I was right for uh, all these predictions for tonight. And hopefully I was right because I usually am right when it comes to predicting these games. I don't know. I'm just like that sometimes. Just kidding. Just kidding. I don't want to fool myself too much. But anyways, let's move on, guys, to um, uh, a game that I forgot to talk about, actually. <laughs> I did forget to talk about these two games. So we're going back to football. <laughs> we're going back to football because I missed it on my notes here. But Packers and Vikings, a uh, very, very, very entertaining game. Uh, back and forth action. Packers, I, I would say the mistakes, you know, cost them the game. You have a missed field goal by Mason Crosby. But from the passer, when they got a pick, in the red zone by Kingsley Kiki, that's taken back. And now the, the Vikings score on that, on that soon drive, and now they're in the hole. So usually good teams can still overcome that, as we saw. The Packers were still in the game, very much so in the game. But when the Vikings are playing that great and that well, those mistakes can be hard to come, come overcome. And, you know, that can come back to bite you in the late stages of the game. So looking at that Packers um, Aaron Rodgers is a freaking dude. We know that, but that Vikings secondary played in it was it was torn up actually. It, it was it was torn up. It was it was torn up. And you know credit to them because the Packers, who have a good secondary as well too, they were torn up as well because that Vikings team they just pushed the ball down the field so many times. I mean they found spots and coverage, made some good trust throws. Yeah, Kirk Cousins. Throwing a back shoulder throw to Justin Jefferson, feeling on the sideline on the final catch of the drive. Oh, I mean, on the final drive, that was a great catch. And that defense had no answer for that trio. The three headed monster, Thielen, Jefferson, and Dalvin Cook. Great, great game from them. And also, I want to say this because people don't really know how well he's playing because of how bad the team has been performing so far this season. Or like average, at least average. Kirk Cousins has been playing. A, a great season so far this year. Like he has been one of the best quarterbacks statistically so far this year. And obviously it's, it's a combination of a lot of things, which is why the Vikings are not where they should be at this point. But you know, if they had a, a competent defense, if they had a good defense, if they, if they had a defense that could keep them in games, this team would definitely be in a conversation for, you know, a contender in the, in the wild card spot for a much more serious, more tone, you know, because they are a contender right now as it stands, but people are not really taking them serious because of they don't believe in Kirk Cousins doing it in big games. You know, the defense is not really that great. There's too many competition that has uh, the makings of a wild finish for the end of the, of the season. But still, man, give credit to Kirk Cousins because he is doing his thing right now and he has been playing lights out. Now, last but not least, I do have the Bucks and Giants on here once again. Bucks offense just wore down that Giants uh, offense. I mean, the defense, a lot of short passing to move the sticks. 
stayed patient with the run. That's the biggest thing for me, too, because, listen, take notes, Buffalo Bills. The Buccaneers are not run-centric at all. But what they do is they still make an effort to do so to open up plays for the passing game. I mean, like, why would you not do that? Open up plays, Ronald Jones, Leonard Fournette, doesn't matter who it is, open up plays, and let's open up, you know, some easier throws to make for Tom Brady, even though he can't make those those throws regardless. But still, it's still a nice way to see the whole bigger picture of things. Now, you know, at one point it was tied 10-10 off of a drop pass from Mike Evans and it picked off by Adore Jackson. Jones hits Andrew Thomas for a touchdown. And by the way, if you guys did not know this, he has more touchdown catches than Kadarius Tony and $72 million man Kenny Galladay. But still, 10-10, Giants could not sustain drives throughout the whole entire night. They just couldn't. And when you look at Daniel Jones, once again, I also did talk about this on Chris Jay's uh, show early on today, and I said that Daniel Jones should be moved off from. I'm sure a lot of Giants fans would agree, but, you know, this is just strengthening that argument because, listen, once again, last night, terrible. Not terrible. Um, It was too many plays where I felt like, you know, boneheaded plays, decisions crucial ones too sometimes, you know? And when I look at the whole entire season, I say that this is his best season so far to date because I don't, I, the rookie season, yes, you could say that, but the reason why this season is the best for me is because of him limiting the turnovers. The biggest thing for me, turning the ball over, can you be able to play a clean game? And he has done that for the most part so far this season compared to other seasons. But for me, it's still mediocre play. And look at last night's turnovers. It's like head scratching. Like, why would you throw that? So, you know, he's under the rest. He throws it right to Steve McClendon, who gets his first career pick in 12 seasons. What? What? What, what is going on? All right. Second pick. Devin White just botches it. it, it it's bounced off of him. He tips it, and the ball is into Mike Edwards' hands, pretty much. You know, like, you can't have these type of plays, man. So, Daniel Jones, for me, needs to be moved off him. And the Giants, once again, another L for them. And they are now the worst team in the NFC as it stands right now. So for people who thought that they would be much more of the upside trend uh, or upward trend this season, oh, they were definitely wrong with that. Definitely wrong with that. And the Buccaneers, uh, at this point, it's more so about them winning the division because I don't see them contending for any of the uh, the, the big spots as in the home field advantage. But it doesn't matter, doesn't matter at this point because they can still go into any – road atmosphere and still win with the team that they have but still it's pretty much too late for me at this point maybe not too late then maybe not too late but still um I, I just see the Cardinals and how they've been playing football uh I do see the Packers as well too in that mix I don't really see the Buccaneers making the claim to win that first seed in the NFC but they have it for football finally I'm serious this guys I'm, I'm serious this is that's it for football that's it that's it but anyways Let's move into European football because, yes, this news broke a couple of days ago, but it's still important to talk about. Uh, United finally sacked Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And, you know, after you have a defeat by Watford 4-1, 4-1, that's just terrible. That's garbage. You cannot have that happen with the team that you have. No. Especially off of international break? Oh, no. Heck no. But this move was way overdue, and you saw that, they were struggling to win games, struggling to look dominant in games and or competitive in some. 
But the question is, where to now? Where to now for this team? It was rumored that Patatino, um, Maurizio Patatino, would be open to the job. But I ask, why? Like, why would you want to leave PSG to come to Man United? Why? And it's also rumored that he's not really getting along with, you know, the whole idea of being at PSG. He has some family, I believe, still in England at this point. It's not really working out too well for him. But still, you know, why would you want to leave, you know, the likes of coaching Messi? He took Coach Ronaldo. <laughs> I'm just joking. It's not really a step drop-off. It's not. It's not really a bad drop-off, to be honest. You're coaching two goats here. But still, I think that PSG are in a league that you have Champions League, you have Messi, you know, and you equally have somewhat of a, a good, a great squad like United, um, you know, overall at least. And on top of that, why would you want to leave that league to go to a harder league um, and hopefully try to compete once again with the United team that has to now find its footing? Because right now they're eighth in the league. They're not playing great football as it stands right now. And you can see United and the way they've handled things, they had no backup plan. They didn't. You know, they, they seem not to like Antonio Conte. He's not gone to Spurs. And Zidane doesn't even want the job. And now if Potts ends up staying, where to now? Where to now indeed? I have no clue. Um, you know, and they waited too long to make this move. Now they're in the league still. It's not looking too good for United right now. It's really not. And for Pochettino, I'm not even sure if he's a good fit for them. I'm not. I'm really not because what I saw in the days of him with Spurs and how they played, you know, despite attacking threat, despite defensive threat that they had, it was more so them being very threatening on attack but leaky on defense. Like, do United fans really want that to happen? I don't know. Um, But the only reason why the defense looks all right as of right now in the league that he's in it's because he's not in the best league. And even then, like, his league and that defense is not the best in the league so far. So, I don't know. I, I don't see how this works out. Um, United, for me, they have to find another manager, but they might have to wait till the, the season ends until they find the answer because Zidane may not be the answer, even though he could be, but he's not the answer right now because he doesn't want the job. And two, Patatino. If he decides to leave, then, oh, whatever, sure. Let's see if it could work out. I think it won't. Um, But, you know, he is still an upgrade over what's left of this market besides Zidane. But United, man, unfortunately, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer could not get the job done. I, 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 I liked Ole. I really did. I really did. I thought he was, he was finally turning the corner. He was finally making things happen at United. He, he was the right man for the job, and they didn't give him enough time to see that. Like, they did not. I'm just joking. <laughs> he was terrible. <laughs> Unfortunately, he was terrible. Um, you know, he had a nice little bright spark, but when it came to the big moments, when it came to this season, it was not working out for him at all. But, you know, good luck to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Hopefully, he has some new opportunities in the future where he can prove himself to be a top-quality manager. But right now, it has not worked out with the Red Devils. Now, guys, that was the end of the episode who boy that was long blabbing blabbing i just did but listen once again we had to keep the show going we are now one hour and 23 minutes and counting in and i just want to say guys thank you so much for those who have listened and stayed tuned to the end you know it was really great to talk about sports as it is and like i said man 
at the beginning of the episode, we had a lot to talk about. A lot to talk about, and we did so, and we did it in some great stylish fashion. So kudos to you guys for listening. Kudos to myself for doing this job and talking. It was great. Listen, stay tuned for the next episode. Stay tuned for more news that we will break down and talk about in the future. Still continue to support our brand and MBS and all of our people here. And we will see you guys soon. We are out.